give me a kiss to build a dream on And my imagination will thrive upon that kiss Mm, Sweetheart, I ask no more than this A kiss to build a dream on Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, and welcome to Warrior Death Show's second stream. A second live stream, actually. This is the first time I think we've ever done this format live, where you can see our wonderful, beautiful faces for the first time. Or oh, the second time. Sorry. Yeah, I think we, d- no, we did don't, it. Don't um, know where it's going. <laughs> it's okay. I think we did it for yesterday as sort of a test run. The last episode. Oh, that's that's of, right. Of yes. That. That's right. You got to see, like, the scowl on my face every time we talked about Roe being a Crunchyroll commenter. You know, that was, that was a fun stuff. time. <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> that. that. <laughs> yes. Um, but speaking of good stuff, we're here to talk about a show that you voted for. So thank you very much for picking that. And thank you for your continued support as patrons. Uh, this particular show being Decadence. And wow. Uh, I mean, we had, Ooh. you know, we had, we had a show, we had Brand New Animal, which we've already discussed, which had a second episode twist. And then, you know, Decadence was here like, you are baby show. You are a small child. Let me show you second episode twist. It was, it was like, it was like the hold my beer moment. I had no idea was coming, but I'm very grateful was. So yeah. good on Decadence for doing that. Although, as we'll dis- I'll be discussing later, with a you know more potent uh, plot twist or oh snap moment comes greater expectations and demands. So keep that in mind as we go along. But anyway, uh, I'm a. I'm, of course, Shaden, and joining me, you know, from Tennessee, it's, of course, uh, the Soul Doctor. Uh, Shadon, what do you get when you throw ten rocks at the side of a car? Uh, oh, ten, ten, like, you know, high-speed games of uh, Jankin? I don't know. Decadence. I want to point something out. I want to point something out. Um, I know that our patrons and indeed our wider audience probably think of me as having a, you know, a mild alcohol problem. <laughs> a mild one at that. Yeah. Um, you know, that. although admittedly I am uh, whitewashing it a little bit here. Uh, this drink, this is just Diet Coke. And after that, uh, I wish, after that joke, uh, I wish this had like, you know, a deck of shot of rum in it because holy crap. That was, it's like you literally threw all 10 rocks at my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, right. it hurt. Right. It hurt. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Although the, it doesn't exactly work because I feel like in Japanese, the pronunciation ends up sounding like Deca Dance. Um, oh, I did the so. Deca Dance once and then I was told never to do it again. So I've not, you know, repeated <laughs> after that point. Oh man. Um, just so, go 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 like robot has said in chat that she's drinking diet roller cola uh which is a british idiom for how how do i put it? it's like you know like how pepsi is like men is described by some people as the imitation coke you know like it's the mm-hmm. it's the tear down uh roller cola is like in the uk the <sighs> tier like far below even pepsi i uh, see it is it is like to it is like uh, you know like how that episode of The Simpsons had crusty brand imitation gruel. Nine <laughs> out of ten orphans can't tell the difference. Uh, right. Roller cola right. is the soda equivalent of that. Well, basically. we have um, we have something called Royal Crown Cola, so our own RC, if you will. 
roller oh, cooler. Oh, that is a roller cooler. That is a roller cooler. Yeah. So is it any good, or does it taste like? Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've had it. I would say it's a, it's like the third, easily the third place soda of of the sodas. Uh, I've never even had the diet version. I, I, the last time I tried it was before I quit drinking sugary soda. This has been a long time. Could be worse. Could be could be like drinking a diet vanilla Coke. That was a thing for a bit. (laughs) It's still a thing. It's still a thing. There are many flavors of diet. We got there are so many citrusy flavors of of the diet coke in my local grocer see we have let me well, see if i can try to name them all ginger lime which is very good there's like twisted mango i don't know why it's twisted if it's like super edgy the soap but it's a twisted <laughs> mango it's a psychotic mango it'll cause you physical harm yeah there's like a blood a blood orange or tangerine type Oh, that's just to accommodate the vampire demographic, let's be fair. <laughs> exactly. And then there was a, um, there's a raspberry one, and then later they added a blueberry and a strawberry, which I don't remember the names for. They all have, like, you know, like, adjectival, like, twisted, or, like, gnarly, or, you know, like, before. <laughs> Except for ginger lime. Ginger lime. I didn't realize they tried to court the 7-Up demographic, but here we are. <laughs> Right. God oh my. Anyway, we're not here to talk. Although, we're funnily not. enough, I'm actually I'm actually rewatching the first episode of Decadence on my second monitor, and uh, there is indeed, you know, the Mountain Dew uh, elements of this show, which is of course the <laughs> right. resource <laughs> that they harvest from the monsters. The so, cooler. <laughs> so I've managed. Yes. So I've managed to bring it back around and make it relevant again. This is another one of my special skills. So I'm quite pleased with that. But anyway, uh, we're here, of course, today to talk about Decadence, the show that I think. I mean, I've already alluded to it before about how the second episode twist has kind of set like the social media circle of anime discussion on fire. Uh, with quite a lot of merit to it, I will say that much. I mean, it certainly caught me by surprise. I was just like, uh? Very surprising. What? Very. You, you've heard me talk on this podcast before about how much that I loved and still love like what the fuck moments in anime and like the higher quotient a show has of that than... Usually I'm predisposed to like it more. And this was certainly one, the beginning of the second episode of like... Madoka episode 3. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> like, I mean, Madoka episode 3 still ranks pretty highly yeah. in my oh, mind. Yeah. You know, for, oh, totally. For, that was a oh, huge that, I mean, one. I mean, that made everyone lose their heads, so there you go. <laughs> Not supposed to spoil things for people. <laughs> well, I'm just saying everyone lost their head. What that did that mean? Oh, God. It is Damn a 10-year-old show at this point. Can you believe that? Or is it 9? Well, the only, people who end up, the, only end, the only people end up spoiling Madoka were the fans who demanded that Urobachi make a sequel to it, and he did. Oh. And he basically told them through, and he basically oh. told them through that to go fuck themselves, which is the do most. You, still, do you mean the still film the most or the new TV? Yeah, show. Rebellion. Okay. Rebellion. I've heard like, like people like the new TV show, but I had not as ardently as the original, of course. Well, what can meet that standard? I mean, yeah, um, it's true. It was, it was a magical show in a magical time. It was even a magical girl show, you might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Decadence, um, because this is actually our second stream format, we're not going to give full plot summaries, uh, mm-hmm. as we normally would, although we will provide context, and indeed, for what we're going to be discussing, context is going to be key. Um, yep. I am going to very strongly stress, if you, uh, dear patron, or dear viewer, if you're catching this when it's gone free to air, have not seen this show yet, um, we normally sometimes say, give it the free episode thing. Uh for the sheer, you know, mindfuckery of the second episode twist alone, 
don't like listen to the rest of this podcast. Go watch it and then come back. I mean, it'll be it'll wait. You know, this isn't like you know a carton of milk. The the file will keep fresh on your hard drive or your device wherever you may keep it. So do take the time to go watch the show, uh, especially at least the first two episodes. The third, if you don't care for it at that point, you can skip. But he said you get the whoa. That's a you know that's a flip to turn my world upside down. So um, yeah, yeah, a lot of thoughts do, on de- that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, spoilers are going to be coming uh, thick and fast as we discuss our various talking points here. So don't like let people spoil it for you. Take it in completely fresh and like without any notion of what it might be, and it's absolutely worth it in its own right. Yeah, that's as much as I'll yeah. say on that. Um, anyways, well, hey, before we get to a discussion, can I talk about the people who are made of the show? Yes, because this shows. Yes, because I'll say this right. I mean, we've obviously already covered brand new animal, and that's Trigger. And Trigger, they've done a really good job on Brand New Animal, in my opinion, at least in terms of its production. Um, I mean, we can, like, you know, we'll discuss the story more and more as we go along throughout that particular podcast series. But Decadence, it looks great. It sounds great. Um, and there's clearly a lot of, like, you know, Sakaga material and Sakaga fodder in this, I'm sure of it. Um, particularly of how Natsume is animated. So they clearly put a lot of thought into this and a lot of craft into it, especially also with the designs of the uh, the cyborg world. Uh, so, yeah. yes, please tell us about the creative <laughs> stock. Okay, so this is a show by Nut Animation Studio. Snicker, snicker. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, what would so make the joke you were going to make? It, they, I mean, you know, they were they've got sixty nine people there. <laughs> God damn it. Uh they're very new. They were only founded in uh two thousand seventeen. Wow. Uh, they have their headquarters as of uh twenty nineteen in uh Kim let's see, Kamiogi, uh Suganami, Tokyo, Japan. So that's where they're at. They've only like, let's see the the CV since they've uh, been a studio for such a short time is pretty short. Uh, TV wise, we've got um, uh, Yojo Senki. Uh, they did Saga of Tanya the Evil, the TV show in twenty seventeen. Oh so yes, they hit the ground running in January with that show, and they ended up doing the movie follow up to that a couple years later. But additionally, they've got uh, Furikuri Alternative that they produced for Toonami, um, co-produced with Production IG, and uh, Revo Root, some a company I've not heard of, uh, and then Decadence. Uh, but th- so, the, but the, the studio, of course, is sort of less interesting to me than the people behind the production. Like the studio itself is is interesting because it's so new, but the creators, the individual creators behind it, I think, are the thing worth paying attention to here. So, like the director, Yuzuru Tachikawa, big name, important person in recent anime history, directed a little show called Mob Psycho One Hundred, and a little show called Mob Psycho One Hundred Two. Uh, <laughs> and and by all accounts, they'll end up uh, you know directing Mob Psycho Three. Also, but but I mean, come on, why have they not called it Mob Psycho Two Hundred or Mob Psycho Three Hundred? Like the the 
It's to do with the percentage. That would be. I'm gonna <laughs> split. You could still have two hundred percent. I'm supposed to go split hairs on this, honestly. Although I don't have any hairs to split, so never mind. Uh, that's including the OAVs and you know the miraculous unknown psychic, the Reagan special, all that stuff. But uh, you know, he also was the let's see, I had so he he did a lot of work also on um, terror and resonance the sort of um i guess like the black sheep of the shinichiro watanabe catalog of like all the things that he's worked on they're usually very beloved you know kawa bebop samurai shampoo mm-hmm. um uh he, he did a lot of work with space dandy um there's one i'm missing uh the uh the music one why can i not think of what it's called uh, the the one about the jazz. Carol and Juicy? The boys. What's that? No, I was getting mixed up. I thought it was Carol and Juicy when you said music one by Oh, no, but that, there's that one, that one too. But also, like, there's another music-focused one that aired the same season as Suritama. Kids on the Slope is what uh, it is. Um, and then you have Terror and Resonance that he directed between Kids on the Slope and Carol and Tuesday. Um that's about like domestic terrorism and like it has its fans but like i think it's probably the one that's like the most meh by the community at large but uh tachikawa helped like you know he was episode director he did storyboarding for five episodes um he was assistant director for a few episodes um and uh death parade and the death billiards film death parade uh like a extremely extremely highly thought of by the people who've seen it unfortunately the people who've seen it not as big as one would like um oh i just noticed that he directed an episode of the woman called fujiko mine episode 11 good on you mate that's good stuff um, i was almost thinking like was 11 the was 11 like the horror one where lupin wakes up in the uh, in the basement in this russian like you know facility the one that i was like whoa this is a that, I don't think it is that one, to be fair, but, like, well, I mean, if you're doing, like, work on that particular show, then you've definitely got to have caliber behind, caliber behind you, you know? Totally. Totally. Um, so, uh, accomplished director, and uh, on one of these projects, maybe, I don't think it was uh, Inuyashiki, which he did the storyboards before he worked on the OP, but on one of these various projects, uh, he cross paths with our boy hiroshi seko oh man <laughs> yeah is the head writer for this show credited with serious composition do you want, do you want to start with... like pinning the names up together like you know with a little piece of string yeah it's all connected yes yes they've they've definitely worked together before and cross paths uh on different projects but they've like specifically worked together as a director and writing duo on mob psycho uh, because uh, Seko was the Seko wrote Psycho uh, seasons one, two, and and all uh, all of it. Um, and then, of course, like he's we've kind of been <laughs> following his career to a degree on this channel uh, because mm-hmm. he was the head writer for the Banana Fish anime adaptation, mm-hmm. as well as a Vinland Saga. Uh, he actually wrote all the scripts for Vinland Saga, um, which Very is Very consistently rad. good rise from what yeah. I've seen. Mm-hmm. Screenplay for all the Banana Fish episodes also. 
Um, and he's done stuff here and there uh, on lots of good show. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to mention this because I'm contractually obligated to. Uh, he did the entire scripts uh, of Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, a good show. Oh, um, well, you know, I wonder why he ended up like doing work on this particular one, you know? Or like where there might be similarities between this and Cabinary. No such thing. There's no similarities no, at all. Not at all. Not hmm. at all. Um, and just to cover our bases, so uh, like what happens a lot of the time, the director of the show, sort of writ large, Yuzuru Tachikawa, directed episode one. But the episode directors for two and three, we'll talk about really quick. Uh, uh, Kei Miura directed uh, episode two, I believe. Um, yes, that's correct. Um and it looks like Miura has not done a whole ton of episode direction. Directed an episode of the baseball anime Major and directed an episode of Somali in the Forest Sphere of Shadon, episode four of that. Um, oh, uh, th- so, okay, cool. I completely forgot about that show. <laughs> <laughs> it was so pretty. That's all I remember. It, no, it, it was a really nice looking show. It just wasn't really about anything, unfortunately. Mm. Well... So that's, you know, there's one other direction credit, but mostly uh, Mira has been a production assistant or done this sort of like nebulous production advancement job. Again, if someone could please explain to me what that job entails, you know, is it really just like delivering cuts back and forth between artists working at home and the studio? I, I, I can I, imagine I like- it's something like that, but... Uh, yeah, I want to imagine it's him building like some sort of Rube Goldberg machine to like deliver cuts between. Mm. You know, like where you stick like this little yep. thing in a tube and it just goes whack, shoots so, off somewhere. And and here's uh, again a, another previous path crossing. Uh, Mira was the production manager for the Death Billiards short film, which is so good. I feel like if you if you take a few minutes to watch Death Billiards, you'll be like, all right, I'm in for Death Parade. Uh, and episode three uh, is more of a uh, veteran uh, animator, um, Hideyuki Satake, uh, who has done a whole ton of key animation, got like Carol and Tuesday, Digimon Adventure, uh, The Terrible Gate, uh, <laughs> the new Furikuri. Oh man, you've, you've mentioned that in the past, as, and you've, you've said it every time like you're about to have some sort of like, you know, um, aortic spasm. <laughs> yeah i mean so gate is something i admittedly haven't seen it but um everything i have read about it is like supporting the thesis that gate is an anime that promotes a very right-wing sort of nationalist oh. point of view oh lovely wonderful yeah, yeah. great yeah um and uh, Satake did some key animation on Mob Psycho, which is, again, uh, a place where these folks all probably met up and worked together. Uh, did a lot um, on a, on Orange, Shadon, if you remember that uh, Ooh, glorious yes. uh, TV show from 2016, I want to say. Something like God, that. God, we've been doing this for a while, haven't we? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, what a lovely show. And the look, like... To contrast with the other stuff, like you know, like Mob Psycho, very bombastic in its uh, action scenes, and so that's the case with Decadence here. Yeah. But Orange, by contrast, was um, 
uh, a lot more well somber and also a lot more like a uh, palette like uh, rather like he had different shades to it. like it's not the same thing really it's much more slow paced totally so yeah uh, this person, you know, thinking about BNA, uh, has worked with Trigger on a few things. Um, he's a key animator for Ninja Slayer from animation. And then uh, did uh, a lot of different jobs for two or three episodes of SSSS Gridman TV, including nice. storyboarding, episode direction, and key animation. So. Yeah, we got some, some people that have done good work doing more good work with Decadence. Good stuff. All right, then. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, we're going to get straight to our patron questions. I'm going to bring these up now. Uh, we have Thank a you, batch Yuki coming Nan, in by here. by the way, for in chat uh, talking about uh, what uh, production assistant is. And But so, yeah. There's also, so there's a number of roles that I was curious about. Production assistant being one. Production advancement being another one that, again, uh, Anime News Network lists. And then production management. What you're describing seems like it could be production management, but I could also see production assistant being being the sort of person who manage. I'll read for the people who are listening on audio. So Yukinon in chat says, production assistant is in charge of managing schedules for every animator, the director, and everyone else, calling them in, looking for people to help out, like outsourcing, I guess, or, or uh, contract work, delivering and managing all cuts. So, aha, I was right about the cut delivery. <laughs> that Thank yeah. you, Shirabako, for yeah. uh, it's, giving me knowledge. It, yeah, it is, uh, you know, one thing you learn on the um, Open University course on the Kanamori, you know, <laughs> program. Right. That's her. Uh, what are those things called? Um, mook. That's her mook. Yes, that's her mook. <laughs> All right. So, uh, with that in mind, let's go on to our patron questions. Yes. Uh, first batch here comes from Kate Rose. Uh, and it says here specifically these are based on episodes one and two. And before I answer these, this is really funny that we're doing this new format where we're covering episodes in blocks of three, which is so far working out fine. But I do find it funny that I wish we'd done, for just for this particular show, the episode-by-episode episode look. Because you can imagine our reactions at the end of episode. Like, oh, you know, it seems all right. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, you know, this is an interesting-looking post-apocalyptic show, but we've yeah. seen this stuff before. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, at least I don't hate the lead character. And you get to the start of episode two, and then we do our episode two podcast, and I'm there like, well, uh... This is completely different than we thought it was going to be. Some, 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 someone, someone took the chessboard and just went and just chucked it everywhere. <laughs> really, it really is that, isn't it? <laughs> it really is that. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, Kate says that this is specifically of relation to episodes one and two. So we have to okay. discount anything we learn in episode three. Okay. Uh, the first question is: What do you make of the symbiotic relationship between the Gaddle and the System? So we need to explain what those are. Uh, in the world of decadence, in the world of decadence, Kick it back. is. Gonna I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna give this a go. Uh, okay. So, decadence basically is the world of Borderlands, the video game. So okay, you can't do that. I because uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't, I'm not familiar with the Borderlands uh, story and lore, and I imagine many people listening. All right, are Mad, not Mad Max, Mad Max, like, or even all right. Let's just. Oh, let's just you're okay, 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 okay. You're not talking about the tweet. You're just talking about the actual environment, like the state yes. of Earth. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, the, st- 20 the, the state of Earth. Uh, yeah, well, the state of Earth is actually, but yeah. yeah, the state of Earth is it be fucked. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. That's the official like, you know, scale. Yeah. Yeah. It's Rex. Um, and there is a roaming fortress called Decadence, which looks like... God, how best describe it? It... It's basically a, a giant outreaching hand, but like it's the most evil looking like thing. It honestly, it looks like it looks like you know a fortress built oh, by no. Megatron or something oh, no. like that. Shadon oh, is no? frozen. No. Well, this am I frozen? Uh, I will restart the call momentarily. Mm-hmm. My face is going to be really large here. Oh, no. Okay. There we go. Yeah. They can see you. Um, come on, video. Show the video. There we go. Okay. okay. So, so yeah, basically, it looks like a giant, like, Megatron hand or something like that. Yes. You know? And believe it or not, the Megatron Transformers comparison is that, because this thing can mm-hmm. turn into a giant fist, uh, which... It really makes me think that the designers of this show thought themselves, all right, you know what? The Big O's Piston Punch, we like that, but we can make it humongous. We can go all in on it. Although it did make me laugh because I thought to myself, man, that would be awkward if they were, like, you know, pointing it the wrong way. I can imagine the turning circle on the fortress is really, really shit. All right, how long will it take us to turn <laughs> can, this fortress down? How, how long will it take us to turn it 180 degrees to punch the monster behind us? Five hours?! Oh shit! Someone's at the wheel, right? And they've like sort of fallen asleep. So, oh shit! We no, 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 no. It's like it's like when um, you're driving a boat or capturing a boat, and then like you see this wave coming. It's like whoop, like this. You're just spinning it round and round as fast as you possibly can. <laughs> what, I, what I was gonna say is it would, it would probably be like if you if you fall asleep with the wheel, right? And you're you're trying to get something like, like oh no, we've um decadence has passed the McDonald's. Shit, we can't get the the food we're gonna get today. Um, basically, we have to circle around the entire Earth again to get to the McDonald's. It will be faster to do that, yeah, pr- than turn it around. Pr- God, I, I hope that like there's like I mean the, the this fortress is massive, by the yeah. way. Um, yeah. It is like double the size of the Technodrome from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and kind of a similar design on track treads of all things. Um, yeah. So this roving can fortress seen, is the last bastion. Can be seen from the atmosphere, right? It's so large. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It, it's, it's a big place. This is the last bastion of humanity. Um, we get explanations that there were like cataclysmic climate events and such that kind of rendered the Earth uninhabitable. Uh, one thing I want to point out, by the way, just as a thing to frame everything I'm telling you here about this exposition is... Uh, firstly, there's a fucking lot of it, and that is not, mm-hmm. in my opinion, necessarily a good thing. But what is a good thing is that the way this is framed in the show proper is that it comes with a sense of, is this necessarily true? Mm. Also, it's peppered across three different episodes. You don't get it all at once. So you don't yeah. have a like first episode, like double episode of Fate Zero situation. Where oh the exhibition <laughs> ten dance. minutes just the... walk, walking in a circle <laughs> excuse expositing. Ex- excuse me while I waltz around <laughs> yes. you and explain dry <laughs> shit that you don't care which about which can I just say yeah. for it might... as much as I joke about that I I enjoyed that scene as a viewer but it's like just such a horrible thing to do as a like a creative working on the show it's such a bad idea yeah <laughs> so they did it um, differently we'll and some... in a su- way that was very surprising as well yes. We'll come back to that later, but um, 
what the, what is happening here is the reason that mankind has been driven into the this fortress is not because of the environmental decay, but because there are now monsters roaming the mm-hmm. earth called the Gadol, uh, which they basically look like you know the outcome of the Maiden Abyss curse. You know, like mm. when you go back up top, they they they're like very very alien, like blobby, morphous, like masses kind of thing looking. Uh, it's got some that are more like avian in form, like that look like giant mantises or birds. Uh, There's a few um, with bugs. big mandibles, and they're looking like bugs from. Um, I don't know. It reminded me of like monsters you might see in, uh, or, or mutes you might see in uh, Kipo uh, and uh, Age yeah. of the Wonder Beasts. Um, Another thing I'd compare them to, these monsters, if you've ever seen Erica 7, and thank God I have six, now it's, it's paying dividends watching these shows, would you believe? Like, all of the uh, Coralians that you see in that show, uh, the really alien-looking things, like these eyes floating around, they're a lot like mm-hmm. those as well. So we're talking that kind of thing, and there's no humanoid, like, they're not humanoid, like, they're not like Zentradi from Macross, you know, they're not recognizable, like, things are just misshapen creatures like the kind of stuff that lovecraft would do if he was also like you know capable of using more colors than black and gray <laughs> right basically so they they wander the world um and basically fight off the attacks from these creatures uh but uh kate did rightly note there's a symbiotic relationship here because uh these monsters oh sorry, i was gonna say yes. so you you have seen i haven't seen this movie but you've seen starship troopers yes Are, yes how similar are these monsters to Starship Troopers monsters in in design? I mean, I know that it's like 3D versus 2D, mm. but just in terms of a design point of view. Not, not really? Okay. Not really, okay. because the Starship Troopers uh, creatures are explicitly all insects, and there are certainly insectoid creatures in the Gaddle, but not no, all of them are no. insectoid. Some of them are like giant worms, or even like creatures with shells on their back, like giant slugs. And they can like it's just a mishmash transform of too. things. So like even if they are like a crab in a shell... They could turn into a worm, and they're just kind of these sort of amorphous beings, or at least some of them are. Yeah, there's one that looks like a yeah, large they're... whale, <laughs> I think, or uh, I don't know. It's, some, yeah. it's, it's weird. They're cool and weird. Oh, it was it was sin from Final Fantasy Ten. Oh, there you go. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong though? Honestly, it's been so long since I played it. I don't remember what sin looks like. Fair enough then. Well, I mean, you've not known what sin looks like for a while, even though you're supposedly a Christian, but that's a different matter entirely. Anyway, so there is a symbiotic relationship here, and if you've ever played the video game Lost Planet, um, no, not many people will have, so I'll explain. In that video game, there were indeed a b- bunch of creatures found on the titular Lost Planet, which started like attacking humans, and when they killed the first one, they found they had like a thing called thermal energy, quote-unquote, in them, which they could then use to power their giant mecha. And this is the same thing here in that when you kill a Gadol, you can extract its, uh, you know, mountain dew from it, uh, known as Oxion. Um, And that is then used to power various systems in uh, Decadence. And also the anti-grav units that the hunters of the Gadol, uh, known as the Gears, and then to some extent the tankers as well, like they have a special... Can you see, like, how laborious this, like, expedition is? It feels a bit clunky, and I, I I will get to it later. But like you can already see, well, the way like, we the, have to explain there's it, there's a lot is clunky to go... in a chronological order. But I feel like they they like did a did a good because they sort of sidestepped that, right? They just mm. kind of were like we learned because we learned some of this stuff through context clues, and some of it through straight up narration, um, and some of it from uh, the boss's point of view, 
and so so i don't know i feel like it's not um it's a lot to keep up with no doubt but like given how complex the world is and layered uh and detailed it could have been so much worse like it could have been so so clunky and oh d- yeah. It, yeah i i think that i do think it is still clunky in place but i'm going to save my thoughts that when we get to it but anyway um that's the symbiotic relationship they kill these things essentially to extract their precious fluids blah blah mm-hmm. blah 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 you know uh to power the city and that's what they do so even though they want to defend themselves from these creatures they kind of also want to draw them to them uh but <laughs> um, at the risk of giving away the uh, big episode 2 twist ahead of time here the Oxion is not just used to power decadence it is used to power a race of cyborgs correct mm-hmm. the gears which also is from the gears yeah uh, which also uh, seems to serve as some sort of like a drug for them as well mm. yeah um, no that's yeah I don't know it's the spice melange essentially from June they, they do uh, enjoy it I brought that mm. up again yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's based Mountain Dew product placement. You know, it's got freshy, freshy taste. You know. Anyway, um, so the symbiotic relationship between these two. Uh, Kate asks, "What do we make of it?" The thing that I need to stress here about decadence is that after the episode two twist, where it turns out, which I'll reveal now, so we can then use it going forward. Uh, this decadence is basically a monster hunter game for this race of cyborgs. Mm. It's not a virtual world. Uh, they make a very clear point of that. It is essentially a real um, a real environment uh, encapsulating this gigantic dome over what is called Eurasia, so Europe and Asia, basically. Um, although maybe this is the, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic sequel to 1984. I don't know. Um, but anyway. Um, so what happens is that the Gears, the cyborgs, uh, they have human constructs that serve as avatars in the real world. Or, well, not even the real world, like just the ground level, because they are, the, the gears themselves, the cyborgs, are real. Yeah. They're not in a digital realm. Uh, they exist on a different place. They're aboard the, so uh, I think the uh, space battleship were... Yamato, uh, called Solid oh, Quake. Oh, yes. <laughs> Solid Solid yeah. Quake. Uh, a fan fiction character <laughs> name if ever I, I heard it. It's great. I love it. Um, There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I'm waiting for the... Obviously, we're going to get, you know, like the evil ship that's going to be Liquid Quake. So there you go. <laughs> I, again, am I You're wrong? Um, so, yeah, um, this what actually happens is that basically these cyborgs compete in a ranking system to con- like to slay these monsters as entertainment. If they if their avatars die, uh, they have to start over, but they're not the cyborgs themselves don't die. Um, so it is for all intents and purposes a game just not a video game for them but what happens to the humans uh, in the tankers in Decadence they are real they do die uh, and they are an underclass of sorts um, so the that's the thing that we learn like because the way episode one is framed is that it paints it as this uh, as a cabinary like setup where okay monsters humans Humans find monsters, try and stay alive. There's a system of warriors. It's Attack on Titan stuff, you know. It's all, like, you know, diet. Like, it's a contained thing. There's no, like, you know, second layers or anything like that. It doesn't seem there's anything weird going on beyond certain hints. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I totally agree here with uh, Emily in chat. Like, that, you know, I was excited about the show after episode one. 
when we the whole like this is a sort of online game for these cyborgs that whole part hadn't been revealed yet when it was just like about the sort of you know last vestiges of humanity struggling to survive and i was like man i have so many questions about the ship and like how did they build well, we've it? We've been there and before, like, though, Doc. That's the problem. Why is there no crime? But they—they they, what, what did you say? What's that? We've been there before, though. That's the problem. They've been there before. <laughs> we have been. Oh there yeah, before, no. But well, they answered stuff. all the questions. Like the twist, totally. Like what is the ship? I mean, the ship was built by the system, like for entertainment. But you're purposes. talking about episode one specifically, though. Um. Right. Um, and I'm yeah. just saying, like, well, I, mean, was I, was, I was, I was into. Um. I was into it at least because, like, I didn't get the immediate whiff of, you know, uh, Frank's bullshit. I'll just call it what it is. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in agreement. Right. Um, no. Just to bring it back around to... It, no, I was going to say, like, so what you're talking about, and then Yuki mentions it in chat also, the, the whole the similarity to Frank's, like, it was there, but, um, you know, I mean... Natsume is so much more likable than anyone in that show. Oh, easily. And Infinitely. The boss is an interesting non-kid, non-teenager character. And the world seemed to... They seem to be so much more interested in the small details of the world, even in the first episode, than Frank's ever was. So, like, superficially, there definitely are structural similarities. But in execution, I think I was even more like I, I know what you're saying after we watched the first episode of frank's so like whoa what's what's the deal like what's gonna happen but i feel like no, we, stepping regret stepping back from the episodes right like i think this is a better first episode even even thinking oh, I, about I, it I, I, like in isolation mm-hmm. so just to circle back around to kate's mm-hmm. point though about this being a symbiote relationship the, the reason i bring up the episode two thing is because it primes us as the audience to not necessarily entirely trust what we know. Um, because mm-hmm. the boss you mentioned, uh, is it Kasaragi his name is? I think uh, it is. I don't think that there's a... Uh, Kaburagi, I think is what it is. Ka- Kaburagi, yeah. there we go. Yes, yeah, sorry, Kaburagi. Kaburagi, like he himself is a cyborg uh, with this avatar of the boss. Um, so that plays into his character. Uh, but it comes clear that there is even like a dissatisfaction he has with his role, uh, you know, which is something I'll discuss when we get to the whole like class structure and kind of that kind of element of this. Um, but because of that, um, there's always going to be that undercurrent since episode two of we shouldn't necessarily trust what we know and shouldn't necessarily trust what we're told. Interesting. So okay, the the backstory of the climate fell to shit. I disagree with that. I'm not saying that's the that's a bad thing about the show, but I'm <clears> saying <throat> the climate looks pretty okay to me. You know, but also where did these monsters come from? Were they seeded there for a particular reason, you know? Like, if there could be any number of ways in which they came about. So one has to wonder, like, how did this symbiotic relationship come about? What put them in place? Um, it's already The show's already got you thinking mm-hmm. about that. Like, how does this all work? Like, we've already had one curtain pulled back to reveal what's behind it, but how many more curtains are there? <laughs> how many curtains are there? And that question there? of what... <laughs> and that... And that and that question of what do you make of the symbiote relationship is a part of that, and that I currently can't conclusively answer that because yeah. I don't trust what has been, I don't trust what we've been told as being accurate. I mean that whole thing, that whole uh, thing, the exposition about the climate going wrong. Um, 
we get that in, I think it's the second episode, I believe, after the, sorry, third one. Um, but it's been, like, played over a PA yep. for the cyborgs inside yep. the ship. But the thing is, like, the way that comes across to me, it feels almost like, you know, totalitarian, like, you know, propaganda. Yeah. Like, this is the established history of the world, and we're going to keep it over and over again. The climate death of the planet. <laughs> Well, that, well, that's it. Like, that, th- th- there's also the aesthetics of like, you know, totalitarianism. Like, we're trying to make this thing palpable and syrupy for yeah. you. So, that all plays into it. And so at the end of the, at is, the end of that story of apocalypse, it's like, have a profitable day. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and everyone, of course, slots into place and plays their part in yeah. this system, making up the symbol of decadence. See also the OP where um, Kura, uh, uh, K, whatever his yeah, name Kaburagi. is. I Cabaragi. <laughs> I almost said Cabaneri. I almost said Cabaneri then, Mr. but I was Cabaneri. Like, uh, <laughs> I was called Mr. Cabaneri. So uh, Cabaragi, like he he himself, like in the OP as his cyborg, like you know, shape slots into place like a Tetris block with everyone mm. else because that's meant to show you have a place that you you have a specific place for you and you will fit in. Yeah. So keep all that in mind. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the symbiotic relationship. Don't know what it currently is really because it could be like. Who knows? Maybe it was put in place like Lichsodic Farm it. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, this is a really interesting um, angle that you've that you've taken about uh kind of not trusting the history uh that we're given. Um Yeah, that's so good. And because clearly, right, I mean the gears to play their game aboard this gold saucer like ship, uh known as the decadence Mm -hmm. uh they need this energy and so they need to sort of continually supply themselves with um uh what are the enemy bugs creatures called gal the the gadol the gadol gadol they they need like a steady stream they're not 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 gal gadot they're not fighting gal gadot not fighting wonder woman uh (laughs) gal double piece they need yeah uh uh the monsters um and so it's funny like i think the probably uh what you're saying is echoed a lot in what kabaragi tells um natsume in episode one before we even know like sort of the partial truth of what's going on when she's saying i want to be a soldier and he's like why and she says i want to put it into the fighting this is when they're drinking at his house and he's like um don't you know the fighting's never gonna end it's never gonna stop um because he knows yeah exactly because he like and and at the time i wrote this huge like this huge note like about like these are competing ideologies of like the young person wants change and like you have the old person who's lived through it who's just like you know maybe even trying to protect her like no like um aren't you satisfied with your lot in life and all, but that is like <clears throat> kind of I think missing yes, so the mark. Like he, he actually knows the legit information, right? It's not just like that he's a pragmatist. He's like, look, <laughs> like I know the fighting's never going to end because I understand that the, I took the red pill the system uh, sort of need each other, um, and mm-hmm. sort of how humans play their part in it is interesting i really like that you you kind of uh, like enter the story and you think it's the story about humanity but by the end of episode three it's like 
our part on this is so minimal. I mean, Natsume, of course, is going to be the eyes through which we see all of this and the main the main character kind of forging her way ahead, spunkily. Um, but in, like, the grand scheme of things, humans are just so, like, an afterthought. <laughs> It's so it's so cool. I think that there is. I, I I think I think there's more to the human involvement in this story, but I'll come into that in a little later when um because uh shout out to uh, KVIN. I'll just call it Kevin. Kevin. Uh, you know Sakaburo's like lead lead curator. Uh, he I'll, I'll say they exactly <coughs> pronouns. Uh, they noted um that it seemed they suggested it was like the most anti-capitalist anime since Kaiji, and. I agree it's anti-capitalist, but I don't know if it's necessarily the most since Kaiji. I think Kaiji is... But anyway, we'll come back to that in a bit. It could have been... Um, I've got to keep going to pay. Oh, why can I not remember the name of the show? Why can't I remember the Ikuhara show about Capazon? <laughs> that that could have been it. Uh, no, that's Sarazamai. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. I could not remember the name Sarazamai. It could have been Sarazamai, but that was not to be. Mm-hmm. That was about okay. other cool things. Uh, next one. Uh, but no, I, I that agree. That's a great point. Like, I I actually super, super agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I'd have to think about other anti-capitalist anime. But I do what the sort of key point in the message that this is a really fucking anti-capitalist uh, anti anime. Like, I totally agree with that point. Do you, do you agree with this point? Well, I actually have some specific examples of scenes in the show that illustrate yeah, that. Totally, that I'll come back totally. to you. But also, also some criticisms of where it doesn't go far enough to actually meet. That. Interesting. That's why I disagree with Kevin's point to some extent that I agree it is anti-capitalist, but it I don't think it's in the same league as Kaiji. Okay, I'd love to. I want to hear both um, sides of this argument later. So, regale I will, me. I will, I will come <laughs> to it. I will regale you, but first we have okay. more questions. So this is coming from Kate Rose as well. Uh, what does it mean that decadence isn't a virtual world, but is somehow playable by something that looks like a virtual world? The easiest and quickest comparison I can make to explain this is it's basically like the Matrix. And I'm not saying the Matrix is in the ma- I mean, as in the whole setting like and the wider implications of the Matrix, where we need an energy source and we need a means for which it's be harvested. Um, the energy source is in the real world, but the means for which we harvest it and keep the people like docile, the cat as castle, if you want to call it that, um, or even farmers, is by having a virtual world in which we gamify it. Right. And I think this is another instance of the show urging us to um like not trust what we think is real. Or at least it makes me sort mm-hmm. of question what's real because free your mind <laughs> right um well you were talking about like not trusting the narration of the the history right and you know uh mm-hmm. and kind of being skeptical of what you're presented with by the show as as fact and i mean i think this is a huge part of this the flip from episode one to two is in episode one all these things that look incredibly realistic are sort of not realist they're not they're avatars like you know like um and a lot of the the stakes are kind of uh really diminished and everything like that and what turns out to be super real are these really silly cutesy uh looking like cartoony robots those things are supposed to be more real than you know the really like lovingly detailed drawing of Kaburagi. It's like that's 
that's a bit weird. And that's the kind of the mindset that I think you're supposed to like, it will be good to approach the rest of the show. With. It's it's game, like, well, the thing is, it's, what's real? It's, it's gamification. <laughs> what's real here? It's game. It's gamification, Doc. Like, you know, we like the cyborgs themselves are exploited class, which I'll get to yeah. later if you think about it. Um, but they're obviously like, you know, in these like cutesy anime avatars, like you would find in like an online game where, you know, it's kind of like chill, you know, the environments are pretty like chilled out and cartoony, have a hotel style, if you want to call it that, that kind of thing. Uh, but remember the scenes, of course, involving uh, Inferno Cube, uh, you know, or whatever you want right. to call him. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, by the way, by the <laughs> way, if you think I'm going all to in on this, like, you know, there is a system and it must be followed. I don't remember this gentleman's name, but he's one of the most famous voice actors in anime. He's the gentleman who voices Dio in JoJo's. Uh, he's the Cube, the Overlord guy. I don't remember his name offhand. Um, he also voices Zato One in Guilty Year. Do you want to know who he also voices? That springs to mind, like you know, a rigid dogmatism and adherence to a system, or you know, uh, that would be Toga from Revolutionary Ooh, Girl Lieutenant. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many? I how many that, speeches do we hear? It. How, how many speeches do we hear of him in Utena saying we've got to break out of right, the shell yeah. and all that? And in this one, he has a he has a dogmatic refrain, which is, all bugs must be eliminated. Right, right. Repeat after me, all <laughs> yes, bugs must be eliminated. Yes. So, which I... If you told me, by the way, that they picked him to voice that character specifically because he had been in that Ikara work, which was all about systems and such, I would buy that. I would absolutely buy that. So, yeah, not a coincidence, in my opinion. Um... All right. Do you have anything else to add to Kate's question on that about the relationship between Deckens the virtual world and being playable? No, I, I mean, to me, like I say, it's basically the base of the Matrix, I would say. Yeah, I think that my main point, I, I already stated that it's like question, it puts you in the state of not, not really knowing or believing well, what's really to, real. I'll expand on that by just saying, though, like the reason that capitalism, as we understand it, allows its exploitation to happen is because it gives people an illusion uh, that makes it seem like what they're mm. doing or what they're having to go for is not necessarily mm. as bad as it really is. That's how you get people arguing against free healthcare, for example. So th- there's your there's your allegory there, you know. All right, uh, next question. What do you make of the relationship between Kabaragi, someone ultimately ruled by the system, and Natsume, someone completely outside the system's control? Uh, I need to give a bit of context for this. Um the reason Natsume is to borrow a term from the Lego movie, and yeah, this is also a thing about breaking out from systems, funnily enough, yeah, is this is basically the Lego movie again. Uh, the reason she is the special is because through a system glitch, uh, it was believed she was dead uh, due to an incident that happened when she in the opening episode where she they were attacked by Gadol, like when she was traveling with her father, who was scavenging for parts. Um, and she did, as we learn in the later episode, die for a bit, like she mm. was dead you know clinically beep. Yeah. yeah but then she came back to life and for some reason the um the system did not pick up that she was back so her entry in the database has always been that she's yeah. dead that chip and so all humans are chipped apparently at some point and the chip mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know fucked up when she came back to life it it did not come back on yep yeah. uh so she is a, a glitch she is outside the system she cannot be uh tracked uh, by them as a result <clears throat> um by the way the bugs that uh you know dio cube was referring to uh was 
yeah, Dio Cube, Toga Cube, whatever you're calling. Uh, the the bugs that he was referring to were these humans whose chips fail. Um, hmm. And also through the graphics that we see, uh, other cases where, for example, the humans see the cyborgs as they actually normally look in their like have a hotel form. Mm-hmm. That was one of the graphics there. So that kind of thing. Essentially, anything that could, any person that could reveal the truth of the world to help maintain the deception. Interesting. Uh, so Kabaragi's role is to find these people who have the faulty chips or who are a threat uh, to the, you know, the illusion that they all live in, this collective lie, uh, and kill them or, take, you know, extract their chips something i'm not clear if he kills them or not but i'm just gonna assume that that he does just the simplest way yeah and i i think it might even be like bug like the bug thing could even be broader than that um well bugs in the system yeah like you know that that kabaragi's sort of removing the chips um of people that are problematic in some way like i wouldn't be surprised if um i don't know that it was more than just like chips failing in fact i would I, I would think that the failing chips would be a very rare occurrence like very anomalous like that pipe and yeah uh natsume would be like two of the first ever if not the first ever for it to happen rather than like it just sort of happening continually well pipe pipe is a chip pipe is a chips but uh pipe is a bug in, in there oh own, right, right? Uh, pi- that's right yeah. he's um, he can't be chipped because yeah. uh he's a guy but but uh yeah. but not pi- so many. Pi- just yeah. because like if the chips were failing all the time i mean that would just i don't know i don't know maybe that's part of the point in the theme is like oh this society seems so great but it doesn't have it all together mm-hmm. yeah um so I mean, there were more, like, examples in that graphic of, like, people who are considered bugs, not because their chips have failed, but because they discovered something. Essentially, you've got to, you know, kill people who learn too much. Um, So, to me, the relationship here is that um, Kabarayi, like, he, we get through a bit of his backstory where he himself is, you know, exploited by the system and restrained by it. Uh, there are even restraints placed on their like actual physical avatars, uh, which could be removed through the use of a limiter. Um, and that is like a big no-no because it results in the entire group of top rankers when this happens uh, being disbanded and some of them outright being executed. Yeah, they're scrapped. Whatever that means, right? I yeah. mean, their um, their green juice brain blob thing is removed and their body dropped down a bottomless seemingly bottomless shaft i don't know if it means they'll be recycled or they will appear in the society and be different people but uh it seems to be like a sort of permanent erasure of whatever their selves are right i mean otherwise why would mikey like mikey i think is such an interesting character like and why he well, he wants to break out. He wants, yeah, he wants to break out and be more than he is limited to be. Yeah, he he gives um, in this speech, and, right? Of like, bef- like before I was became a top rank player, I was content to live my life, do my part, and get scrapped, and all for the system. And then I became a top ranker, and I don't want to do that now. I don't want to be scrapped. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's being scrapped i'm curious if it will kind of allude more to like the mechanics of what that is um well i could i could expand on that because kabaragi himself like constantly has this warning message pop up in his vi- saying 
lifespan coming to an end or something to that effect. Like, there's only so long that you can be a cyborg for. Like, you have a finite lifespan. You got to keep drinking the juice. About dec- That's true. Uh, something. So the thing about decadence is that it's very clearly as a show establishing a lot of constraints, both in terms of you know systems and structures, the ranking system, um, the jobs that are assigned to the tankers, you know. Um, where even they have a hierarchy, despite the fact they're all menial work. Um, then, of course, you've got the construction of the um, cyborgs themselves and how long their finite lifespan is, uh, that kind of thing. And then, of course, people straining against that. But everyone has a place, as per that right. OP. Uh, you know, no one needs to be outside of it. So I think that this whole idea of Kabaragi, like having this relationship with Natsume, who is outside the system... It could very well be a vicarious thing where she can fully do what he cannot, which is actually break free. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I should add, by the way, that Kaburagi, uh, he actually um, was a top ranker as well, and that's how he was able to fight so well. But uh, he was then demoted uh, because of his involvement in the limiter-breaking incident to becoming an armor repair guy by day, helping fix the outside of Decadence's like, mm-hmm. hull, and by night being someone who hunts down books. Uh, this is also why his avatar changes from someone who's got like the colored red skin. I think it might have been blue, blue hair, um, to blue hair, uh, to what he looks like now, which is a regularish dude, you know. Um, so yeah, that I think might be why he's doing it because, well, in fact, no, he says as much. Like, I want to see if a, how if a bug can survive in this world. Clearly, he himself has not been able to escape the confines of his role in life and also the confines of his actual body because he is a cyborg after all you know there are limitations placed on what he can do and what and such so maybe that it's a vicarious thing mm. if i can't do it i can certainly instruct someone how to do it and then get some pleasure out of that you know yeah i mean i think that the game that they're playing aboard the decadence is meant to you know if, if we're going to take the whole anti-capitalist bit um, here, I think it is meant to be analogous to, or sort of broadened out and thought about in more uh, broad terms, like it, like thinking about society as as gamified, right? By by uh, people that structure it, um, and people that want you mm-hmm. to buy things, and you know, stru- gamify your life. Um, at least that that's what helps me make a little bit more sense of of Kaburagi sometimes because it it seems odd to me when watching it initially how disillusioned he was over over like a a game <laughs> you know what i mean like he was like willing to like let his body his cyborg self like die because he was disillusioned over over things that happened in the game i mean granted like his whole team was was scrapped and he was having to sort of run around in this real slash simulation like doing shitty things but um but i think you know him and natsube it's their relationship is so cool because like she is in this totally unique position to have an influence and effect on him and you know he says like you saved me um even though the system the system tells me that you have no value. Because according to the great big AI that assigns everything its value, you're dead. You you don't mean anything, and yet you mean something to me. And what a huge kind of revelation that is for him. Um, that's really yeah. neat. I'm 
I'm just going to point to some stuff in chat. Uh, on and Go With Sight Robot are discussing the idea of is this legitimately entertainment or is it a job? And that's why I'm saying about gamification because you can make even the most like menial and awful and terrible work like more engaging by gamifying it. Let me let me pitch an and idea. You can also to make you games here, a job. Game. People that play Final Fantasy XIV in craft, why do you do it? It's not fun. <laughs> Ellie, at least ain't EverQuest anymore, you know. Uh, but imagine this example, right? Let's say that you have a very large office block. Uh, obviously, you know, we live in time now, and that's not necessarily the case anymore. But imagine you have a very large office complex, or even, let's say, a mall, and you've got a number of restrooms in there. You obviously need people to clean these restrooms. So how do you make incentivize, like, you know, doing that right? You can bring, you can gamify Badges. it. Yeah. Here's how, how many did you clean in an hour? How well did you clean them? You know, there's a ranking table here of who's done the most in this amount of time. Simple stuff like that that already exists in a lot of companies is gamification of a sense because it provides a sense of structure and competition. It forces you to focus your efforts against each other to try and prove that you're better than them at others for the rewards that come as a result. I mean, ranking in decadence, the show that is, is very clearly seen as a thing of prestige. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that's what Mikey speaks mm-hmm. of, for example. Totally. So I think that it absolutely is a job. Um because it comes with very severe punishments like of a dystopian nature where the flower executes if they fail or stray from the rules. I mean, you know, if it was a game, they'd get banned. Oh no. <laughs> but they literally get executed. Right. They get fucking executed but here. Just, um, oh, sorry, and and it, is also, it is also, you know, them harvesting an actual in-universe natural resource that powers this whole yeah. thing and keeps them alive for that matter. I think of like yeah. So you know, begin, like if you could, if sorry, I keep interrupting you. You go ahead. If you if you compare oxine uh, to food, mm-hmm. there's your there's your like puzzle piece that makes totally. you realize it is a job because if they don't do it, they yeah, die. Or it's just your life at that point. Um, if you're mm-hmm. if you're uh, competing for food, right, and and your nourishment and your very sort of existence is on the line, like it just becomes your life, right, and. I mean, it's probably marketed as a game, rightly, because, you know, it's like you're in an online game. But as, you know, someone who, like, was a WoW player for a long time, I mean, you know, like, people, these things get their hooks in people, and people begin devoting more and more and more time to doing things in it that may not, I mean, some of it's probably fun, but some of it's probably not. I mean, some of it's probably fucking tedious. Um, And... Mm -hmm. So I think this is an interesting point that's gotten brought up here because there can be a bit of a blurring of the line between game and job and sort of, you know, game rank and like real life prestige Um, because people can take that shit really seriously Um, and it can consume your life. So. I, I work in a company where I don't personally actually engage in any selling of products. Uh, that's not my job. But we do have a division that does do selling. And, of course, there are scoreboards, there are competitions, there are rewards and incentives for either being the best salesperson in general or meeting a certain target in a certain time frame. You name it. These things exist, and that's what Decadence is doing here. It's showing this system in place for, as a game, but making you realize that these things already kind of exist because yeah. it's analogous to what happens in real world jobs and groups and companies. 
Okay, uh, we've got more questions right. to cover. So the next one comes from also from Kate Rose, and this is based on episode three specifically. How did your understanding of the world of decadence change after seeing the historical explanation? I'm going to repeat my previous point. I don't trust any of it. I think it's all dogma. I think I think that we'll find out later that whatever destroyed the world um, is not simply climate change um, or even what brought the Godal into existence might not be that they just appeared one day. If you told me, for example, that they tried to create this life form that gave them a sustainable energy source that created the oxygen and then it kind of got loose and spread into the wild, that's a theory, mm-hmm. you know? Um but I think, again, like with the all the explanations that the show has given, like, well, I think that the exhibition has been clunky in places because there's been so much of it um, that at least it's keeping you on your toes by making you think, like, once you've been primed for that through the episode two twist, oh, wait, do I trust this or not? Yeah. I'm... The most unrealistic thing about the show is that it says it took until the 25th century for climate change to destroy the earth. <laughs> it's going to happen in this mm-hmm. century. It's, it's going to happen in the 21st Yay. century. Uh, <laughs> Yay. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe the total destruction that sort of when they show in their little, uh, animatic, um, the brown earth, maybe that won't happen for a few hundred years, but, um, Oh, speaking of the animatic, by the way, just a small side point. I love, again, how this show is using, like, these cartoons presented to the cyborgs as a way of, like, you know, softening history. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, I mean let's put it this way. Right? Let's say that you were doing a documentary on... Let's go, for, let's go for the throat here. Let's make this as, like, awful as possible. Let's say you're doing a documentary on Auschwitz. Okay? Let's say you're doing a documentary on the Holocaust. How do you do it? You do his archive footage with interviews of actual survivors. You can, yeah, I would argue so. Or would you do it the decadence way, which is here's a horrific thing in history. Let's do it in cartoon. I format. guess it depends on what your what your angle is with the documentary, right? <laughs> if you were, well, that's it. <laughs> right. But like, yeah. But that, but obviously, yeah. we we as savvy people and audience members would think to ourselves, this is a bit suspect that this history is presented in such a cartoony mm-hmm. way. And that again is because of this beautiful twist where, like. I'll say now, like, one of the things I like about the twist is not just the twist itself is exciting and interesting, but it perfectly primes the audience for everything that's to follow. Your world has been flipped, turned upside down, you know, to borrow a quote from uh, Fresh Prince there, and now you're constantly thinking to yourself, like, what am I being presented with? Is this true? Is this factual? Should I trust it? How much of it even is true? Like, it's not a case of this is all lies and this is all truth. There's a blend of it in there somewhere. Because clearly the world has come to an end. Right. But what's the specifics of that, you know? Yeah. So what did I think about it? Um, I hope that it is at least partially true. Just I'm, I'm open to it being propaganda, but like, or, and specifically, you know, cause there could be like way more to it. Right. But I, I kind of was digging the fact that like in the background of everything that's happening, uh, there's like this element of like social responsibility that, that, that theme there, because, you know, Everything we see for the first couple of episodes and into episode three. By episode three, like we understand sort of the plight of humanity, uh, what it has been reduced to, um, what human life is like in this world. Uh, and we hear that human beings caused that. Um, and so 
I don't know. I mean, I know this is a very common for this kind of fiction, um, but I, it's still something that I enjoy. And I think it can hit home more in stories like this because you're not just saying, well, uh, the planet was ruined by, uh, you know, environmental damage that humans did. And it was awful. And you don't, you know, it's talking about it in broad strokes. Like there was an apocalypse or humanity. It's like, you really see down and dirty what human civilization has become. And I think after seeing that, realizing we did it to ourselves, that's a pretty effective one-two punch. And so I, I like that, um, part of it but i am as i say open to there being more to it mm-hmm. all right uh final patron question this one comes from gogo atomic robot and we've probably already kind of covered this uh but i'll mention anyway based on episode one how successful do you feel decadence is at setting up its world premise uh and why and if this is just based on episode one like considering it in the vacuum um, we need to mention that although the twist comes at the start of episode two, and by the way, comes kind of just out of nowhere, which I think is actually the once of the few times I'll say that's a good thing because it completely sucker punches you. Uh, but to go back to episode one, there are hints that things are off. Like we see, for example, a scene of uh, Kasari like looking at uh, Natsume, and then we cut to his view, but his view's got like this Google Class yeah, UI right. over it. At the and time, like, it's like, where's what? this come from? <laughs> what the hell? And then also the ending of episode yeah. one, we see the Habbo Hotel, like, you know, cyborg land. And like, what the fuck's this? You know, what what the hell is this Willy Wonka <laughs> shit, you know? Um, so, <laughs> again, am I wrong? That's why I ask you. Amazing. Um, but I think that insofar as, like, establishing the world well, I think the first episode does a fine job. Um, it even, like, sets up a lot of other hints because... Um, people in chat mentioned that the Decadence logo was found by Natsume's father, but do you want to know what he also found? He found the dead uh, and, like, worn-out shell of an old cyborg. Oh, right. Like, yeah. the... the beh- right. Yeah, because there was, like, the TV screen that's then gone. So he almost uncovered the truth. Almost. Um, but I want to give also props to the actual episode for setting up um, character traits. Because Natsume, like, you know, the first thing she does is picks up, like, this scorpion with no real fear, which I think goes to show, like, that she's not really so afraid of these creatures, but more is, like, overly curious. Um, and, like, we also get cats, right? So, I, yeah, I am of the opinion, I think the first episode does a good job. I mean, it in fact, it even seems to be structured in such a way as to be conventional for mm-hmm. our tastes. Like, it ends on the big piston punch. Like, you know, <laughs> that to me feels like, while the credits were, that feels to me like a very deliberate setup for, you know, what would otherwise be a standard, I say standard, quote unquote, version of the show where there is no twist, that there is a secret, you know, world behind the world. You know, there's, there is a wizard right. behind the curtain of this art yeah. that we're in. Um, but that, like, you know, okay, you get the big piston punch, and you know what? We're going to bring that back, and you're going to see these guys fighting Attack on Titan style, and it's all going to be great, uh, which I want you to keep that in mind, because this is when I get to the point about anti-capitalism and why I actually think it falls apart a little bit on a meta okay. level. Just pop, pop down your uh, skull for a second there. But yeah, I, I am... I mean, also, like, you know, 
we get it very well realized in terms of the necessary upkeep and maintenance of decadence as well like you've got to clean all this shit off the walls mm-hmm. you know when there's a fight there are actual consequences downtime and repair to it which is certainly welcome um so yeah i think it does a fine job i think that there is a lot of exhibition to take in and that's why i think that watching this week on week is probably preferable than binging it because like you'd probably get really bored of the exhibition real fast and i'm hoping they do tone it down now mm-hmm. like i don't i don't i mean i'm when i say exhibition and tone down i don't mean as in like oh you've learned something new that and then that changed everything i'm talking about like exhibition specifically to set the table i don't mind exhibition being like you know rolled out if we've then flipped the table and now there's a new status quo but there shouldn't be like reams and reams of it to get the very first status quo set up at all uh, I'll actually answer that point that Gogo Tyro was playing in chat, which is I wonder why they need humans to play the game. That's the thing. They are the underclass that keeps decadence going. They are the toilet cleaners, you know, they are the mechanics, they are the essentially the people doing the grunt work. Um and I'll also elaborate. Okay, we have the gears, which are of course the avatars of the cyborgs doing the fighting, but they do allow a certain number of humans as tankers to also take part. Mm-hmm. And do you wanna know why I think that is? I think that's a part of the wider yeah, totally. evolution. Yep. It's a thing. It it's a career mm-hmm. advancement path. You know, like we have a direct involvement uh, with the you know uh, fight that's going on here. There's only a few of us, but we're all like. I mean, this is also Natsume being uh, suckered in in the same way uh, that Kuranai, uh, sorry, Kasaragi's, where there is a human uh, tanker named Kuranai who is in her own right really, really good. Like, she is being drawn into the fiction of this hero in a almost Vinland saga kind of way. Um, which is why I want to fight to be like her, like, as opposed to I want to fight because I want to help humanity. Yeah, they they need them you know? for, like, sort of uh, out-of-game reasons, like keeping things clean, like you said, and, uh, you know, taking care of weapons and all that kind of thing. But, you know, like you, and like you were saying, they throw them in-game, so that there can kind of be this like aspirational component to their lives. They can dream big, right? I mean, Natsume didn't seem like this complete fool. Uh, she she seems like not like an un- unrealistic person. Um, by that, I mean, what am I trying to say? She doesn't seem like a fucking like main character of a shonen show who's just like, a, you know, some random nobody who's like, I will be the greatest ninja in the universe or whatever mm-hmm. like her aspiration she, she seems like more grounded than that and the fact that she's like i want to help fight so i can end the fighting it seems like something that like sort of through the educational system like that's that's the kind of uh goal that they're given to uh aspire to and yeah i mean until she talks to um her boss she doesn't see it as this weird thing she's like of course i want to do this like why would i not want to help try to help end the fighting um so yeah agreed mm-hmm. absolutely right um do you have anything else to add on that question Doc? oh i just i i think it it did a great job setting things up so i binged the show um i i did not uh grow weary of the exposition but as i said earlier i'm someone who could tolerate the fate zero double episode (laughs) um (laughs) but like um i didn't think it was you know objectively speaking nearly that bad i mean i love the way it's it's structured um 
you know, setting up the world, giving it to us in doses, uh, you know, uh, sizable doses, but doses nonetheless, rather than all at once. Um, It shows, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that this is a planned out show, which is different from (laughs) many anime who kind of are going week to week a lot of times with the story if they're not adapting anything. Thank God for that. Uh, It it shows that there's like a a vision and a plan, at least uh, partially. Um, hopefully, you know, I have faith that, that there's one all the way to the beginning, but, or sorry, all the way well, to the beginning. Well, this is the thing I said, I said before, like about how this has now like flips everything up this second episode revelation. So expectations have been substantially raised as a result of that. Like I will put on the table now that I am really, really intrigued by decadence. I think it's got some very strong messages that I also wish it kind of was more refined about, but by God, it's got to deliver. We have to like. I want to. I want to come out of this anime like feeling like a million bucks because it really has delivered on the promises itself here, uh, as opposed to the twist existing for an oh shit thing. Like, cause a big twist like that in its own right can just simply be for audience engagement, not for anything. Of oh, it already already it has shown that oh, it's more I, I, to it. Than yes, that, I feel. yes, but it now needs to deliver on that all the way to the end. I mean, sir, I think it it has. All right. It has designs to, you know, I mean, I think so. Yeah, it certainly has a lot of potential, yeah. I would agree. Okay, so talking points. Um, let's get into the anti-capitalist okay. stuff here. And I also want to talk a bit about Natsume as a character who is physically disabled. Because mm. something we've not elaborated on is that she has a cyborg hand. Uh, she is basically the Imperis of Furiosa of this uh, anime, if you've ever watched Mad Max Fury Road. Because she has... She lost her arm in the original attack that we mentioned in the opening moment of episode one, uh, and she has a prosthetic hand. Now it's upgraded to I a Mega Man hand in episode three. I'll come yeah. to that in a moment. I'll come to that in a moment. But um, I actually was initially quite cold on this, and I'll tell you why. Because I should stress, by the way, for people listening who may not know who I am or may even not be watching, uh, I am a fully abled man, um, so I ha- don't have a, like a physical disability. Baldness does not count. I know I like to joke about it, but it does not count. Um, so I would actually strongly urge that if you do know like of someone who is watching the show who is physically disabled, that I'd maybe ask them for their opinion on how it handles mm. this as well, rather than just sticking to my own. But my initial thought was I felt quite cold on this because Natsume's like cyborg hand, like we don't get to see any way in which it is legitimately like a detriment to her work. Uh, to which your answer will, of course, be, well, it isn't a detriment, and that's the point. Until episode um, three, when her job has changed, right? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. not, not oh, yeah. right, not her, um, um, not her scrubbing work. Yeah, it it seems to be like you know that she was getting along just fine without any difficulty. But what I found really interesting about the fact that you allude to that she gets an upgraded hand is that it just happens. She just gets it. You know, we, I thought it was going to be an ongoing, like, struggle that she would mm-hmm. over, try and overcome. Like, oh, God, I can't use this thing properly. Like, you know, it's it's clunky. It's kind of useless. Uh, and then maybe in its own way, like, you know, you could see how that was actually a benefit to her because she was physically stronger as a result. Um, I mean, we've seen plenty of shows like, say, for example, Trigun, where Vash has a cyborg hand and that comes out pretty handy right. for him. You know, um, there are many different ways you can use it situation, situation that would be handy. But I thought, okay going to be an ongoing thing i hope because this is an interesting thing we don't see often with characters uh, in anime and then she gets a great hand that is superior every way actually has the accurate number of fingers and thumbs Mm -hmm. because she only has three originally and i initially thought 
well, that's shit because, you know, we've literally skipped past all of the interesting stuff I thought was going to happen with her struggling with that and then showing that it wasn't a, di- a problem to be disabled in that way because let's be honest, it isn't. And then I realised the ease of which that she got that upgrade is, to borrow the show's terminology, not terminology, rather, I miss blah, 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 that. It's not a bug, it's a feature because it was so easy for her to get that it goes to show like how the society won't provide for people the things that they need. And I thought that was really neat when I thought about it. Like, you know, there's nothing physically stopping anyone from giving her a proper cyborg arm rather than the shitty one that she was given. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. That was. That was awesome. Um, but the, um, I, yeah. But the other thing I want to know... Oh, well... The other thing I want to know... Still on this topic? Sorry, go on. Well, I have stuff to say on the hand, about, but do you want to still talk about uh, her hand? Uh, if, you've got, if you've got stuff to say about the hand, then we'll talk about it, but not to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes please, please say other stuff no, about the yeah, hand just, I, I really enjoyed um, when she and Kaburagi had uh, the talk about it she came over to his place just to talk about it um, and you know she's had people in her life tell her that it's going to hold her back that it's her weakness but the fact that she still um she still loves it like it's still part of her identity you know because she's been through so much Mm -hmm. with it uh it's it's helped her in spots it's just been with her uh throughout most of her life is um i think really um kind of accurate like from what i know i too am, am fully able but um i was reading a really great thread on twitter of um sort of uh ableist kind of tropes in stories and kind of ways to avoid them and how disabled people think about their disability and this the writer was getting trying to get across the notion to people that like lots of disabled people i know it's weird for you able people to think this but they might actually not want to be cured because you know quote unquote cured Mm. because their disability is it like informs who they are and it's just been a part of their life so much that it's just sort of, I don't know, maybe akin to you getting some kind of huge, uh, change to your body. You know, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I saw that reflected here in Natsume, uh, and how she felt about something that she sort of understands is a detriment to her as uh looking looking through the lens of her as uh, a fighter because she can't turn the little um the little switch or gear or whatever that she needs to turn fast enough to maneuver in the way that kabragi would like her to um Mm -hmm. and yeah i love like you said that then kabragi just does this like you know what this is not the problem. This is not a problem. Uh, you just need better care. <laughs> like you've been given yeah, shit care. Which she should have been. <laughs> so you should be given that yeah. from the start. And that's true of real mm-hmm. life. Like you know, wheelchair ramps, for example, were not as ubiquitous as they are now. At some point in our history, you know, like it was thought that it was just 
not worth it. It was, you know, too much hassle to put them in place. And then, of course, we have things like unseen disabilities, where that's become more of a known thing now. Like, you know, you see them, for example, on the entrances to restrooms. And even then going back to wheelchair ramps, they're still not everywhere they should be. Um, but that's, again, got tying into the anti-capitalist thing in that why don't we put, you know, more measures in place to make life easier for disabled people? Because it costs too much money. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Capitalism And sucks. why would you, why so would you, you outfit the world for a minority of people it doesn't make economic sense right um not just that it cost because if it costs a lot of money to do something for the abled population at large uh it would probably be done because there's so many abled people that it would make sense but uh but well there you go <laughs> there it is <laughs> yeah so that's one of the anti-capitalist things uh, the other anti-capitalist thing I will mention, since this ties into it somewhat as well, is I want to talk about the commodification of human suffering. Um, Damn, <laughs> this was a small thing. This is a topic. this is a this is a this is a small thing, but it kind of blew my mind. Uh, so, Cabaragi, like he, you know, when he realizes that he can't actually scan Natsume, he because he's a smart individual and credits them for fleshy eyes characters this way. He investigates. So he starts looking her up on a database and can't find her, and then he finds out she's dead. But what we then find out at the start of, I think it was episode three, is that it turns out, and this ties into it being an entertainment thing to some extent, video footage exists of Natsume's death. Right? And this is in a library of video footage, so it seems that somehow Decadence, the city or the place, is recording footage of all of the goings-on. And I want to note, by the way, that a number of the human tankers actually die in these three episodes. They are double D dead. They don't double come D. back like the actual cyborg avatars do. Yeah. Right? And that's important because if you then extrapolate from that, like their, foot, their deaths have also been recorded as well. So how do you feel then if I were to tell you that you can buy that with the in-game currency? <laughs> That's how he accesses this footage. It's not like him, you know... Imagine, yeah. like, in fact, just to put it out there, like, imagine if, for detective work, rather than you accessing, like, CCTV through freedom of information requests or as part of a police database, that, oh, you know what, it's just on YouTube and you can pay five quid to watch this person be brutally murdered. And you could pay to own it, right? Because, like, once he buys it, doesn't he say, like, doesn't it then say, like, sold out? Like, then you own the footage. It's not publicly available anymore. Well, he, well be, be, if that is true or not, the point still stands. Sure, sure. Like, the, suf the suffering that the humans go through in the decadence yeah. of the show is shown to be something that is sold on an open market for in-game currency, ostensibly for the entertainment of the cyborgs. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see, like, in a side thing, like, do you remember Donatello, like, the big raging yeah. pig guy? I could totally see him, by, like you know, spending his in hard-earned in-game currency on watching footage of regular humans be murdered by the, the like the yeah. Gadol, for just for his yeah. own kicks. And again, like, how insane is that that this system allows it? It's such a small thing though, because it's it awesome. only is used in the story as a as an investigative means for like Kabaragi to like find the truth out about Natsume's mm -hmm. death and like the fact that she came back to life. But the fact that it was ever on sale in the first place kind of just blew my fucking brains out. I was like, holy shit. That's such an amazing world building detail and it really goes to show how fucks up this system I know. is. Yeah. I mean it's crazy that you can 
that the footage is publicly available until someone doesn't want it to be. You know, because that's that's how he sort of erased uh, Pipe's existence from the public database. So he just bought that footage of Pipe. Mm-hmm. And it's used for good reasons there, but like you're saying, it's the fact that it's there sort of implies a whole host of really awful, like terrible actions. <laughs> where 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 does that where does that observation also end? I mean, is it just a battle footage? Do they get to watch like, you know, videos of like the humans doing their day to day business inside, you yes. know, the tank? Do they They do. Yeah. Does that how far do you want to take that? How far do you want to take this like surveillance state <laughs> and the invasion of privacy? Holy shit, it's it's horrifying the more you think about it. Yeah, I mean I think all everything the cyborgs see is probably taped and publicly available to buy. Um again, because he buys that footage of pipe of him discovering pipe on the hull of the ship. Um and yeah, you know, I mean it's 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 bonkers. I mean, the humans clearly don't know about it. Um, just like we don't, we don't know about the surveillance state that's happening to us right now, right now, uh, being watched. Yeah. But that's also, but because that's purchasable for money, that's another capsule. Yeah, like you know how it's a very explicit like extrapolation of the idea that capitalism exists because it sells products based on human exploitation. I mean, okay, you know, me buying a chocolate bar, uh, if it's not fair trade or, like, expertly sourced, and even then that's not necessarily entirely fair. Like, you know, that's not the same as bo- does buying a vi- video footage of someone being killed for my own right. pleasure, which I don't do, by the way, just to clarify that. Um, what you do on your you know, time is your book. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but, so, but a lot of what we do buy or can buy is built on human suffering. It's not the point where they're being murdered by animals, but people working yeah, in cheap yeah. labor. We just know? choose to not think about yeah, people it, even work... though it's, we know it. I, iPhones in mm-hmm. China, for example, made in fat sweatshop factories where people have killed themselves because of the working conditions there. Like, this is the thing about decadence being anti-capitalism. Like, when you drill down, like, to below, like, the, what, the way it's presented in the show, like, it's very clearly analogy for things that we already deal with totally even to the point where we live in an illusion where some people are quite content with it because they've got their full bellies and what oh yeah i mean it's it's really smart um, how kind of in episode two it, it makes this really clean uh cleavage and distinction between these class of people who are engaging in life uh as if it's a game not because they necessarily need to although uh, at some point they're <laughs> They're pulled into, and like you said, they themselves are exploited, the cyborgs, um, and made to need it. But like ostensibly, like they're not risking the things that human beings are risking, and their lives are much more bit comfortable. Of, bit of Fritz Lang's Metropolis, maybe What's that? even. Bit of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. No, yeah, even? okay, I can see that too, right? Where all the work, where all the workers are subsumed into the state until there is no distinction anymore between them. Why else do you think we see again the image of all the workers slotting into place of the decadence logo? And like, and you know, it's like you were saying that the human beings play their part to make the ship go right and like keep this whole thing alive. Like without the humans, I don't think that you could run this sort of simulation 
And yet, because they're so in the dark and, you know, they don't have knowledge, they don't have, they're not organized in any way, they don't have the uh, means to do anything about it or even know about it, uh, it's very easy to, like, sort of oppress them and build on top of them this sort of life of apparent luxury and sort of fun and games where like again in the same battle you know a guy a human being like loses his dad his dad dies and like if a gear was killed uh, they just lost their avatar um and you know it's you you could make you could draw a lot of you draw a lot of parallels honestly between like kind of the what different classes of people uh in our world and irl are risking in their everyday lives um and yeah i just think it's it's really really smart a smart show in that way yep um i do have a one major kind of meta criticism of this uh, this is where I put my pretentious uh, anime critic beret on and start like talking in a you know well actually mm-hmm. kind of voice, uh, but funnily enough, we had this criticism or rather we discussed it in Izoken. Sure. Which is can you make an anti- can you make an anti capitalist message inside a capitalist like you know system of creation of content? Because here's the thing, right? The animation in these three episodes of the fight scenes that we get is spectacular. It looks yeah, great. So good. It You know, it's very fluid. Like, uh, you know, I mean, the Sakia guys will lose their shit over this. But the point being, though, is that this is not um, presented for any actual character's benefit. It's for our benefit as a consuming audience. So is that not of itself kind of hypocritical of the show to try and sell itself in such a way by making these fights as excellent to look at as they are? You know, so you'll ostensibly buy the Blu-ray or watch it, whatever, when right. the point comes out, when it itself is about the exploitation of workers. And again, this is an anime which is made in an industry that thrives off exploitation. Well, I'll just play the role now of uh, Alexander Smith and say, uh, what is it? Like, us, oh, socialist, <laughs> you too live in a capitalist society. I've got you. Um, <laughs> I, I see you I live see, in a society. Yes, I, I see, yeah, it's very interesting. I'll just get, get back in my well. <laughs> and, you know, purchase things. Um, I mean, I th- like I hear what you are saying. And it, I think we can... A serious conversation would need to be had if... If things come out about, like, you know, the labor of, of this show. But... It, and, and it's exploitation but in a general sense i mean we already know it's the anime industry i mean it's a, an exploitative industry and in, in terms of the way it's set up now uh but i think where i ultimately came down on um where we all ultimately came down if i recall correctly on uh Azerkin, was that like you know this the, the sort of capitalist uh system um, and economy is so all pervasive that it, to to make art outside of it to communicate a message to any kind of audience is like next to impossible because the means of production yep. are all controlled by uh, bosses <laughs> by uh, big corporations and companies. The means of distribution with a goal are, con- are controlled by these for-profit companies. And 
maybe you could, you know, DIY something, but like without marketing and networking and distribution to, to get your message in front of eyeballs uh, to, in a way that would like sustain you as an artist um, is almost impossible to do now, if not mm-hmm. outright impossible um, for the vast majority of, of artists. So I think realistically, pragmatically speaking, like you have to do that kind of work inside the system and that's going to be how, yeah, how ironic <laughs> that that's going to be how you um how you reach the most people with your with your message yeah i suppose i should clarify that like this is not a case of the anti-capitalist message becomes invalid because of this unfortunate like design flaw right. uh when you create mm-hmm. a show like this it's still a message worth making but it's impossible as you say like you know to create outside of that system and then i have to point out like you know that it is being sold as a product for our mm-hmm. consumption so there's always going to be that level of hypocrisy involved in it which is unavoidable but i'd rather at least it be making that message and doing it as smartly as it is where it can cover things like you know how disabled people are treated or how we commodify like you know exploitation and violence and sell it to people as a product like those two things, by the way, are, relatively speaking for these episodes, only small parts of them. And they're still deeply yeah. meaningful and really well executed. So the show gets a lot of praise from me on that. Even if I do think, as I say, that, you know, it runs against that brick wall of, well, you live in a society. <laughs> I'm so smart. <laughs> yeah, that's like a constraint that I just don't know. I don't know if in our lifetimes we'll we'll see something that can overcome that um well what we clearly need what we clearly need is someone outside the system who wants to you know break away from their role of cleaning toilets and walls and stuff like you know become an anime animator and then is not constrained by the system because they just can't recognize them and they also need to be like you know with a ponytail that's uh ginger colored or whatever you call it like you know or that kind <laughs> right, of hair color right. yes and needs to be really yep, spunky totally. you say totally um well, this, this transitions nicely into a talking point I just wanted to briefly mention in that Natsume, she's amazing. Like, she, so she's a great character. Good. And part of what keeps the show really fun and and uh, makes it go down easier because we've been talking about a lot of heavy, heady ideas, but, like, she's just so much fun as a character. Um, this is a really funny show due to her being in it. There's a lot of dramatic irony um via the uh, ponytail yeah. pull like yes yeah there, there's 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 a good there's a good bit of slapstick yes. in this, and it's fun i will credit the sh- i'll credit the show by also pointing out that it doesn't diminish the actual violence that nope. happens in the battles um i don't know how it really does that because you'd feel like oh that's me like you know can get injured in her training oh we need to mention the training montage by the way the oh, so good. reference. <laughs> So yeah, when she's when she's when she's running after the yes. jeep, and you know there needs to be, of course, like you know a eighties uh, oh AMV. You know, you're the best around. around. Yeah, yeah. Like, nothing's gonna ever keep you down. Hearts on fire or something. Sorry. That'll be tremendous. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, so I'm like, there's there is, as you say, a lot of fun and a lot of humor to be found in this show that 
is not totally distant no. from its core messages or ideas. It allows those to see. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's you kind of need to, you know, you don't want this to become, uh, you don't want every show you watch to become flag. You know what I mean? Like, just uh, so serious. Quiet, interesting. Shut up. No, no, I can't. I you can't. you don't even believe that. Me. Um, but just like <laughs> on the drier side, you know what I mean? Like she she helps you kind of emotionally invest and have like an emotional anchor and um, just someone to care about this moving through this world and, and interacting with all these ideas. Um, and yeah, I mean, she like her the comedy, like you said, it doesn't, I don't think, uh, take away from the sharpness of the criticisms the show is making nor do i think it diminishes uh her as a character like i don't it's not sort of i don't think that she's shown just because while she's celebrating she accidentally gets hit with a rock or something like that i don't think she's shown to be Mm -hmm. dumb or incapable uh or not not smart uh or you know uh just sort of rolled up into some kind of girly stereotype. Like, I don't think any of that personally, I don't think it's, it's none of that's going on. Like she's still, uh, this really like sensible character, this really driven character. Um, and I think like for that reason, I just want to root for her. So (laughs) I'm rooting for her so hard. Like she rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she doesn't necessarily even know the truth no. yet of the world, which she will mm-hmm. eventually. Uh, and £20 on the table, uh, she will meet uh, the cyborg uh, version of Kabarayi. <laughs> Are you a Game Boy? <laughs> what? what do I do with you? Well, there was a Game Boy! There actually was a Game Boy uh, lady with her Game Boy son in the plaza. I'm not even joking. I will find it for Are you. Are you a VMU? Um, <laughs> do you remember the VMU? <laughs> Oh have man, you... I, the the Sega Game Gear one just gets bullied no, yeah, all the time. The, um, the have you if, if go look up a <laughs> Dreamcast VMU. The memory cards for those actually had little screens oh, on them. Oh shit! They, looked, yeah, they I... looked like little VMUs. It would be funny if like uh, they showed up and they're like, "Here we are, like our real selves on the on the deck of the ship," and then it zoomed out and they're like the size of like. A pencil <laughs> compared to a human they're so Ima- tiny Ima- imagine if there was a neo geo <laughs> on there like that poor fucker would just be like you know bullied it's me constantly. the wonder swan bottom ranking <laughs> oh fucking hell the nokia engage, <laughs> the engage. <laughs> uh, god um but she she's awesome um can i talk a minute also about uh our other sort of lead character uh kaburagi like Kaburag. yes holy shit like listen you've all followed me as a podcaster and opinion haver about anime for many years you know i'm i'm cool with shows about teenagers love them love the teenage teenagers great great characters they come of age and you have lots of coming of age stories and they have so much potential and so much life out in front of them right um but it's so good sometimes to have this older character because, like, you could tell these different stories, not like, you know, the odd, like, the potential of youth and, you know, the vigor. It's like he has lived his life and he's, like, been struck down and had these, like, 
deep failures like scar him and um how he kind of overcomes that and and uh is learning to to live again right in in a sense right is is he's like meaning has been like reinjected into his into his life through meeting someone else mm-hmm. like i just find this so refreshing um just yeah. to have this point of view as this older person and this kind of different story, like a story of a middle-aged man, essentially. Um, he's a mentor, but he's not a disposable mentor either by the looks of it. Like, he doesn't play the Obi-Wan Kenobi role of, like, or even the Thor's role, shall we say. Yeah, you know, right. Remember him? I'm hoping that he's around for the remainder of the show. And we get it from his perspective, um, this, right? And, and <clears throat> like, like Obi- we, yeah, and, and Obi-Wan do. and Thor's are sort of, they're set up as these, like, virtu- like you said, virtuous mentors. Um but, you know, Kaburagi has, like, really fucked up. I mean, really, like, fucked up and, like, been the reason that his friends were scrapped. And there's so much, like, to mine, well, right, from uh, from that failure and his uh, moving past it. Well... I actually don't think it was strictly speaking his fault, but well, I do want to. I mean, it didn't have to happen, right? Because I mean, but, this, yeah, well, no, he blames but a himself. Point to that I'll that put I think it that way. Really in- yes, but there's a point to that that I find really interesting. So think of it this way, right? This system like has a thing in place to root out bugs, okay? But surely, if this system was as perfect as it otherwise should be. Bugs would never be allowed to exist in the first place. These chips would not malfunction. You know, the limiter would not even be a thing that people would know mm-hmm. about. Um, although one might argue that that in turn is public is put as knowledge out to the uh, rankers as you know a temptation like a trap. But then again, why do that if they had no way of knowing about it anyway? And this is the point. This system allows for free will, both for the humans and the rankers. And I think that what Decadence is already hinting at through Kabaragi's defiance here, uh, both in terms of giving the <clears throat> the limits of information out and then his time with Natsume, is that any system that attempts to restrict free will will ultimately be defeated by it. Because free will will always strain against the constraints that are put against it. Um so mm. I think that that already is a really optimistic side to it, that like the fact that he's even capable of doing this to begin with, when conceivably as a cyborg, it could have been programmed out right. of him. Um, I think is a really neat idea. Yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, I hadn't even thought about how that plays into this. Um, yeah. Uh, because this society could have been fully automated, but if that were the case, I mean, what, what use, what use does a fully automated society have for a game, right? It's, and then, then it wouldn't even, then they wouldn't even like be the, like, you couldn't map anti capitalism onto like a society of pre programmed droids or whatever. They need the free well, will. Because yeah, there's no conscious, yeah. yeah, there's no consciousness for them to experience. But that's the thing, by giving them a consciousness, inevitably that system is destined to fail because the consciousness will desire to push against it. It's pushed against the walls that only because in, bugs should die, which must zap them away. Yeah, but the if you but the thing is though, why allow bugs to exist at all? Like that's the thing. This system cannot exist without the presence of bugs coming into play. But because those bugs come into play, the system is ultimately doomed to collapse eventually. Yeah, I wonder. Can't I, say oh, when. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Can't say when, but it will happen. Yeah, I wonder. Like, 
to what degree, I mean, we have no idea, but is the system trying to self-improve um, and rewrite itself uh, or parts of itself to eliminate bugs? And will there be this point where it's like perfected or are bugs just, it seems like bugs are just this reality. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's, this is all, there's a lot of angles that you can look at the show from, and clearly I have not, uh, I have not looked at it for many of them. Um, but there's, yeah, this is fascinating, fascinating show, a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm done on my talking points. Do you have any more you want to add? Let me see. Um, I think I've hit most of mine. Um, yeah yeah i think like all the big questions i had eventually were answered um do you do you want to talk about mikey at all i think mikey's a pretty pretty fascinating character well i think he's i think he's again a part of the idea of hey i I want to be better i want to you know although funny enough he runs into a kind of contradiction of like you know i want to exercise my free will but it's still wrapped in the constraint mm-hmm. of his system because he wants to become a, a, a more highly ranked uh, gear. Which, to be honest, like, the fuck does that matter? You know? We're harvesting, uh, you know, material. As long as we get enough of that, that's what you... Well, it's be- I think it's because when you're a top-ranked cyborg, you don't get scrapped. There's no... Uh, no scrapping, hmm. right? That That would be... You know, because he—that's th- the implication I took from his speech, Shadon, of like uh, when he said, "You know, I was I was going to play my part and do my thing and get scrapped, and then I became a top ranker, and I don't want to lose that, and I'll do whatever it takes to keep like why." Um, there could well, be a million reasons why, explicit... but but that was what I kind of understood. I, I, I... Yeah, I think I don't think there's an explicit like reward of immortality, um, as at least in the show. Like, but I think that like he wants to try and make that happen somehow anyway. Because I feel if that was an explicit like thing that you could get, then that would be publicly known knowledge, and we the audience would have been told that at some point as well. Because I think that would also then tie to Kaburagi, well, the is, because it clearly seems the show like is he's, really um, he's done with right. all this. Uh, well, yeah, he he doesn't care. He doesn't mind if he expires, at least until he meets Natsume. I don't think he. Um, well, the show actually is really great about not telling us things that don't that um, would feel like, "Hello there, I am Exposition Man, willing to exposit to <laughs> you this other character a thing that you already know." Because the audience needs to know it. Like, people are naturally talking to each the other. OGO doing and if that. everybody knows something, why would they talk about it? So I feel like there, it's still on the well, table for, for it to be revealed. And I want to address Catherine's point. So she says this was disproven. And I think she means the fact that the top-ranking team was destroyed when it was, uh, or was scrapped, when it was found out that they were, you know, um, how do you call it? When it was found out that they were or were cheating or or they thought they were cheating, that was a special circumstance. Like, right? I mean, if you're a top ranker yeah. who doesn't well, cheat, and you, I, I, my contention is, as long as you are a top ranker, not breaking the rules or, of the system, that you will be unscrapped. Catherine does also mention the point though that we did have Kabaragi screen saying how many hit operational years he had left. So I think there is definitely a lifespan in there. Oh, totally. And but if, if, you're, I may if you're a top ranker, though, don't you keep getting the juice? That's what I mean. 
well, I think the well, I think the juice doesn't make you like immortal. I don't think it makes you last forever. I think it just oh well, yeah. Well, that's this is like different car, from you being know? scrapped. You, 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 I think you, like ru- like being you, scrapped would be is one thing, and then uh, running out of the juice and your operational, you know, going going down to zero I, I is think another I th- thing. Right? I have a I have a complete I have a completely different understanding. But basically the way I see it is like you have a car and obviously you can keep filling the car with petrol, but eventually the mechanical components will fall apart. Like you can keep putting petrol in it, but it won't then mm-hmm. start. You'll need to replace them or get a new car. Um and just from a systems based kind of perspective, if you have a set of top rankers who are permanently like locked in that like top percent of a wedge and don't like retire them over time that's gonna not give incentive for people to rise up the ranks they'll be like oh he's never moving he's always gonna be top especially when gear comes into play because gear is a factor in this because they can keep buying new equipment so it would make sense it would make sense for there to be a churn over time where top rankers are retired well only if they fall off i think because um if you look at this if you we're looking at it again through this lens of thinking about it in terms of capitalism and anti-capitalism if you look at the top rankers as like big stars, like TV stars, movie stars, rock stars that people care about, it would be in the system's best interest to not let them fall away unless they were bad. And if they were, if people were losing interest because they weren't as good, they wouldn't be a top ranker because they'd naturally fall out. Remember that scene where everyone's talking the- about them? Uh, it, clearly, it's in the system's best interest to keep top rankers around, even if there were, you know, if they were, say, one was scheduled to be scrapped or something like that. Um, but they were, like, you know, number one top ranker, and they were getting all this buzz, and people were talking about them. Remember, they're like, oh, Mikey, Mikey's so great. Mikey rules. He's the best ever. I want him to replace Kabaragi because Kabaragi's been there so long. You know, Mikey's my new fave. Like, mm. There's no way the system is going to get rid of somebody like that. So I think if you're a top ranker, whatever means it is, I don't even want to argue about the mechanism. It could be anything. Um, It could just be you get the juice and the juice helps you. If you're a top ranker, I think people are going to care about you and you're going to drive interest and therefore you will be kept unscrapped. I think it would be silly if the system scrapped top rankers. It'd be dumb. I don't entirely disagree. Be- I don't entirely agree because the thing you, you analogy you made to like rock stars and such, like not everyone plays guitar or competes in the same arena. TV All stars, movie stars. Are, but the thing is, not everyone's a TV or a movie star. Like for us, Joe Public members, uh, we're not competing in the same arena as a lot of these. Yeah, people. I know. Whereas everyone, but as everyone in decadence, like who are is a cyborg, is in. The well, same they're all arena. trying, but like, well, sure. I mean, it's a different world, but. Like, I, I'm not saying it's exactly like the human world in that way. I'm just saying that these people are famous. And famous people mm-hmm. and uh, of entertainment have long served capitalist regimes in that they are incredibly good distractions for people. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and not everybody, well, just like, like, just like uh, our world, not everybody can become that. Only, only the select few are no. good enough to achieve the top ranking in this lovely online game. Not yeah. everybody can be Daigo Umehara. Mm. You know, the fighting game scene is never oh, going to kick Daigo out because Daigo's Daigo. Mm. Yeah. 
but then again, I, I if we're going to borrow in the fine game thing, I know people have dropped out over time because they haven't seen the top players move. So if you want to keep people invested in your like system, it's probably then it's, a I think a certain amount of churn is necessary. I think a certain amount of churn is necessary. Well, I think I think, I think that's honestly, built think into the split. game, right? Like that's why Mikey is worried about getting overtaken because there's always new people, always more strategies. The meta's changing. The top is going to change. But he doesn't want it to. The, he wants to remain in the top so so that he can, you know, I don't know. Well, we we weren't talking about we weren't talking about the ranking. We were talking about whether or not they lived eternally or not. And I think that no, I, I don't think I they're mean, immortal. I just think they won't be scrapped while they're a top ranker. Why would why would any top ranker be that was obeying the rules be scrapped? Because the well, I mean, when I say scrapped, I mean because their equipment comes to the end of its operation. Like, I think we're honestly splitting hairs over this. And if I'm quite honest, I don't think it really all that matters right now, unless it gets brought up in more detail when that will be clarified. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that we got to. Don't. I'm really glad we got to skip uh, the arc of. That could have happened right uh in the, in the first episode if if the first episode was lengthened out to two episodes like i could see this natsume having this sort of small character arc of like i hate my job it's so shit and then slowly over the course of an hour or two like learning that it's kind of good and fulfills a place in society and like oh actually like that happens really quickly. It like it speeds through that stuff, and I was so glad that it did. Mm-hmm. Five five year time though to uh, get away from scrubbing the side of the wall. Like five years of constantly cleaning shit. Also, fennel is the worst. No, I'm just gonna put that out there. Fennel is, <laughs> is such a creep. Oh, oh I'm god! So, I'm so sad he's still alive. Ah oh, well, he'll get his eventually. All right, so that's you all know. the different. All right. Uh, that's all the big things I have. I feel like I could t- keep talking about like the details of this world. But that's the thing, though. The details yeah. are worth noting. Uh, so, all right, that brings us to the end of our talk. Shall we rate the uh, episodes yeah. then, Doc? Yeah. Oh, boy. This, um, the block. The block. My God. The uh, block of green goo. How would you... I... Man, I... I have been legitimately impressed by this show. Like, for what seems like a very rote kind of cabinary attack on Titan, big monsters killed by people with zero G gear kind of bullshit. Like, at least it's doing something different and interesting. That's with it. so. That's so like, little that's, of the show, like, isn't it? That's what. That's so neat. Well, that. Well, that's it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it still looks really nice, which is a, both a positive and a negative, as I've discussed. But overall, a positive, I would say. Um, but like the, my biggest complaint, for example, about Attack on Time was I did not give two flying shits about any of the characters, and I didn't understand like there was a wider theme or idea of it beyond the rich people like you know get the thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, can we do more with that rather than it just being like about how we got to go fight this fucking <laughs> thing out in the wow. like, I didn't yes. care about any of it, but I kept but but I care about the characters mm. here, and I care about the ideas that it's uh, toying with as well. And I think it's doing some interesting things with it where, like, it's not just the big, broad stroke ideas, but also Natsume's arm, the commodification, the videos. Like, you know, there are little details that help building up this wider idea of, you know, an anti-capitalist message, which is really, really neat. 
for a first time studio a relatively new studio like the whole production has been very impressive um my only real complaint as i say is just i think the exposition is on a tiny bit too thick um i feel like you could have jettisoned the climate change thing although one might argue that's a part of it because it's a false narrative we will have to see um and i think that can wear thin depending on your tolerance for that amount of exposition to be quite honest uh but overall very impressed with it i'm gonna give these three episodes uh 4.5 uh mountain dew rivers <laughs> out of five um so i i loved these episodes a lot um i think this is such a creative uh and fresh show um you know there's a lot of uh, i guess anime stereotypes are sort of familiar character beats um th- there are some of those but like so much kind of wrapped around the show and so many of the details i find really fascinating and different and there's like such potential for this to go places um just th- thinking about the show the amount i've thought about it since i've watched it and the amount i'll probably keep thinking about it um really mm-hmm. kind of overshadows a lot of of uh anime of recent vintage that i've seen so yeah man it is an infinitely it is an infinitely superior post-apocalyptic show the list oh totally totally like like a lot of the sci-fi that i've watched uh, in recent years not all of it but like a lot of it sort of it just is so kind of mediocre in its aspirations compared to a show like this um and it is but this show is also fun yeah. to boot as well. Like it gets to have its cake and eat totally. it. Totally, and it's this, the storytelling I think is really great. Like I didn't really have issues with the exposition. Um, so yeah, I mean it's. It, I think I I if even I I might have even wanted more exposition just because, like I, I I feel like talking about it and everything it has helped me feel like. I can kind of get my arms around the world and all of its mechanisms and things like that. But I feel like that that's a grasp that I could lose at any moment. <laughs> there are so many moving parts and so many <laughs> layers to the show. Um, but but gosh, fun characters, beautiful looking show. Um, uh, there's not a whole lot to criticize. So... Yeah, I'm going to go for the, the block of three. I'm going to go uh, 4.75 uh, pipus out of uh, five. And uh, I'm going to post a link on uh, in chat here to Mark from Ono oh Anime's Twitter. And I want everybody to tweet at Mark, uh, who's at Vermillionaire, uh, Vermillionaire ending in a three. Uh, v- Vermillionaire and say Hiroshi Seko is good. Because that dude in our Mob Psycho pod last year that I did with um, Anime is Lit and Mark, uh, he like raked Hiroshi Seko over the coals. And look, is any CV perfect in which you work and live in a capitalist society and have to, you know, make ends meet? No, probably took on some projects that were bad. They didn't want to. But let me just tell you, the last three years, this dude just crushed it, crushed it. And so everybody tweet Mark and say, Mark, Hiroshi Seko is good. You're wrong. (laughs) 
Damn right. Um, but that being said, like you and I have scored these first three episodes very highly, but it's the same thing has happened yeah. before when yeah. we've scored the first three episodes of HRI, which is now it's got to keep that going. It's got to deliver. You've set up a lot of good things there, Decadence. I am legitimately excited for what's to come. Do not fuck this up. <laughs> how long? Do we know how long this You've is? Got to... I'm going to look it up as, as we talk. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's a 12 episode. Um, let's see. So I'm going to the Mal page. Um, July 8th to question mark. No one knows. All right, so it's a 500 <laughs> episode. Eh? That's it. We're set We're set for stream of thought for the next several years. Yes. We're all good. Great. I'm a, well, you know what? I, I'm I'm certainly up for you know what comes next. That's for sure. But it really like that's the thing. Like you've you've got my attention. You you have piqued my interest. Show stick the landing, please. Like there are very few shows I can think of that I personally seen where they ended as strongly oh, as they started. Yeah. This uh, is the I anime open, problem. Example, like just from this <laughs> yeah. year alone, it really is the anime problem. Um, it can be yeah. done though, and I really hope it does because I think this show could be something quite special. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, it could even be batting in the same like league as Izoka. I didn't think I would say this that. This year? <laughs> like, I thought, like, you know, I, yeah, I thought that as far as I was concerned, the only way I would watch something better than Izoka that came out this year, especially given what's happening in the wider world, would be something that wasn't released this year. You know, I was thinking that the only thing I would be able to compare Izoka to would be Utena because I've been watching that. Uh, but no, we have something that came out this year that could potentially be yeah. as good. I very highly doubt it'll be better because that's a fucking tall order. But it could very well compete, and that has me really, really yeah, excited. And, and someone, or, or sorry, a show that's like headed up by not not these like legendary like Masaki Yuasa or Ikuhara or Tomino, uh, you know, or uh, or someone like that, like um. Tachikawa um has like you know been around but like relative to those folks um he he's a fairly new name uh like I don't really see anything that is older than the mid to late 2000s in in his CV um maybe these episodes of Bleach depending on when Bleach was but certainly I don't see any 90s content and so yeah something so good made by these uh you know directors and writers that have been on the come up here lately is like cool to see absolutely all right well on that note ladies gentlemen envies we will wrap up for the evening if you happen to have been listening to this on free for air and you think yourself holy crap i want to hear more of this stuff from these two fine gentlemen uh, then I might have, you know, a little tip for you, which is to just, you know, uh, set your web browsers to patreon.com forward slash show. Get yourself on the free dollar tier or higher to continue getting involved with Second Stream and Decadence as we go forward. Um, if you, Indeed, if you get on the $5 tier, you can even join in on our Rakugo Yeah, Shinjo Rakugo, discussion. baby. Um, it's coming. Which, oh, boy. That's... We, we've got some quality shows lined up for I this know. season. You know? Like what we thought was going to be a dry spell has been uh, turned out quite good. But definitely do check out our Patreon for all the benefits that come with that, including Discord access, we do group watches, all sorts of good stuff. Got a very lively and wonderful community here. Uh, to our existing patrons, you have my ongoing and eternal gratitude for your support. I really, really cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. It's very humbling that people would be willing to pay to listen to me. I mean, people usually pay me to shut up, not to talk more, so there you go. <laughs> and, uh, can I make um, a brief clarification? Um, just, 
I was thinking yes. about, you know, when we were talking about Natsume's hand and that I was talking about, um, you know, tropes to avoid and, and you know, someone, a writer talking about how disabled folks uh, might feel. Um, and like, I don't, I just want to be clear that hopefully no one thought that the things that she, the writer, was saying, or that I am saying, apply across the board to all disabled persons. That group is by no means a monolith. Um, there could be people that feel mm. all sorts of different ways about themselves, about their disability. Um, I, you know, she was speaking in generalities, and she uh, is someone who, if she is not a disabled person, actually, then she's... Uh, you know, quite close to to them and has spoken with many. So I was attempting to relay a topic uh, and a discussion I thought was interesting. But just, yeah, a little notesy there that I don't, you know, clearly speak for, for all disabled persons and their relationships, their disability. Nor do I. And I would advise again that, you know, you seek out um, opinions and perspectives on this show from that angle as well. Um, I would be curious if they do more with that in the show's room. Maybe Natsume loses the hand, perhaps, I don't know. But we will find out. And indeed, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next all around from Decadence. So do feel free to join us on that. Uh, we will be back uh, in three weeks' time to cover... I think it's about three yep. weeks, isn't it? Yeah, that'll be when two. we next revisit Decadence. That's right. So we'll be there to cover it the same week episode yes. six comes out. Um until then, of course, ladies, gentlemen, and thank you very much for joining us again, whether you're doing so live or after the facts. Uh, always good to have people along. Um, and as we often say on this podcast, embrace you, everyone. It's the end of the universe. You have a cracking evening. Take care Catch of yourselves. Catch you all at the Barakamon uh, tomorrow. And uh, oh, yes. bring back the brothers.